Welcome to the Grow Tribe. Hi, I'm Melissa McGowan, and I love that you're choosing growth. In this podcast, we shine a light on the diverse, messy, and real ways that you grow in leadership and life. We reflect, connect, and share what growth means to us. After two decades supporting growth in business, and of course my own, I firmly believe that where you go with your energy, time, focus, money, and precious resources, you actually grow. We're better together, so stay curious, stay awesome, join our tribe, and feel alive. Thanks so much for being here and being part of the Grow Tribe. It would be amazing if you shared this podcast with others at home, at work, gave it a rate and review in Apple Podcasts, and shared any ideas about what you want to hear more about or who you want to hear from. I love to hear your updates. If you're interested in learning about how to become a Chief Energy Officer, you're looking to fuel your impact in, and your performance, could be you, could be your team, have a look at the link in the show notes about where to start. And as always, drop me an email if you're looking for any support or you've got any insights that you want to share on growth. It's melissa, M-E-L-I-S-S-A, at go to grow.com.au. Thanks, everyone. Today, I talk about women's growth, healing, and ownership for their own health and well-being. I can't think of a better thing women can do for themselves, their families, their partners, their careers, and hence their overall lives. I'm with Lauren Curtin. She's a women's health-focused acupuncturist and herbalist. Her clinical practice really centers on supporting women navigate their hormones, cycles, fertility. She uses a combination of the education that we didn't get at school and acupuncture, herbal medicine, diet, and some good truths around lifestyle support. She really believes, as do I, that every woman has the right to know how her body works. And for many listening, we want our daughters to learn this much earlier than we did. Um, She gets great outcomes optimizing uh, reproductive health and overall body health. And she sees firsthand in the clinic every day the really dramatic improvements that can come with taking some of these simple, inexpensive and non-invasive techniques to really grow your health and well-being and not tolerate things that you have in the past. Lauren's based on the Mornington Peninsula. Okay, hello and welcome to today's episode, Cycles, Fertility and Hormones to Grow. One of my great hopes is that my two daughters won't learn the hard way about women's health like I did. I've learned so much on my journey through fertility challenges, childbirth, pushing through the monthly cycle, finally being diagnosed with celiac, having adrenal fatigue after twins, chronic sinus issues, injuries, and then arriving at early menopause. The eventual learning has been to really listen to my body more and utilize the support of a few select alternative practitioners and not just deferring to traditional medicine as it actually has pretty consistently let me down, to be honest. So in today's episode, we're going to touch on um, TCM, which is traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture to support our physical and emotional growth, understanding and nurturing hormones, some practical and personal um, experience here. There's no question that this is the next coffee chat for, for many of us at the moment. The all important impact of taking ownership, seeking support and taking action on your own health and well-being versus just putting up with things or deferring to others. The wisdom and momentum that comes with tuning into your own health and energy and the outcomes we get surprising and amazing. 
So Chinese medicine, specifically acupuncture, has been a really consistent tool in my kit for over 15 years I've been using it with huge personal success. And we'll talk about it today as a powerful and proven effective treatment for a wide range of conditions, really. Pain management, insomnia, anxiety, heartburn. It's just all perfect for, for, for me right now, really. And of course, women's health. So I've got Lauren with me today. Um, Lauren, I've had over my 15 plus year journey, I reckon I've had three really standout practitioners in the field you work support me. And you're at the top of my list in terms of your impressive depth of expertise. You've got a very nurturing yet powerful way of collecting data and insights when I see you, challenging habits, mindsets, and creating the space for reflection and simplifying, it's a really important point, simplifying the solutions. I think back to when I had um, adrenal fatigue after I had been diagnosed with celiac and had twins. So it was pretty, much uh, the perfect storm really. And I was seeing another practitioner and I specifically recall just feeling so overwhelmed by what felt like an unrealistic set of solutions for me at that time to manage in my lifestyle sort of, you know, gut health protocols, um, a lot of supplements, you know, this um, suggestion that I should cook and take all my own food when I travel, which I was traveling frequently on trips domestically and overseas and, and not serve it in plastic, of course. Mm -hmm. So there was just so much and it was overwhelming. And I now see that I, I wanted to discount the stress being such an impact and a driver um, and me needing to do some deeper work on that. But you are very much in touch with what is realistic in people's lifestyles and building on those blocks over time. Of course, we still joke about my occasional dip into the bone broth. Mm -hmm. um, and also a warm welcome to the growing tribe of growers here today. I've heard about some great wins in our community over this past week as people are fueling their growth. Examples include someone starting to experiment with breath work, someone else applying just one key leadership development action to make them a more effective people manager right now, someone else returned to meditation after experiencing the contrast of not doing it. So let's keep sharing as we support each other in our growth. And I'd love to hear about your wins and challenges. Now, this episode is not just for women. It's for anyone willing to confront and take a more proactive ownership and approach for their own health and wellbeing and utilise less invasive practices. Like, why wouldn't you? taking micro actions rather than outsourcing and deferring. And I love that acupuncture is something that you can use as needed. It doesn't have to be something that's a constant in your life, but very much thoughtfully used. So there are many places we could go today, Lauren, including the, you know, welcome to middle-aged, how do we cope with back pain, which I hear everyone my age in their mid forties talking about, but we're going to keep it real for women and their men today. And we're, I'm going to steer us towards women's health. Um, the discomfort here, folks, is not needles. It is indeed the impact on women, partners and their families when they move around from exhaustion, anger like they could poke someone's eye out with a fork, confusion and even shame, right? So if that makes us alternative to go there, then bring it on, I say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, Lauren, let's get started. Um, let's just start with some basics. For those who aren't accustomed to lying on that table, well, first, we always have a chat. We go through some of the data. Then we lie. I lie on the table and you put needles in different parts of my body. Um, I find it deeply relaxing. But for those who haven't experienced it or had maybe success with it, 
can you just give us a, a, just a quick overview of the basics of like what is acupuncture and why is it so effective? Mm, thank you, Melissa. So basically acupuncture is a branch of Chinese medicine. So Chinese medicine is a whole system of, me of medicine that encompasses acupuncture, herbal medicine, things like cupping and gua sha and dietary therapy and lifestyle therapy. So acupuncture is just a branch from that. And the reason that it works so well is because what we do is we're stimulating points that all have different functions. So there's hundreds of acupuncture points on the body and all of them have their own specific action and effect on the body. So when we're stimulating it, it's like reminding the body to keep performing that function. So that could be supporting liver function, that could be immune system, that could be digestive health, that can be like our nervous system, stress yeah. response, and then our hormones as well. So they all have their different function. And then also when we do certain combinations of points, they can also have additional functions as well. So it's kind of like making a recipe when we pick the acupuncture points because we can have certain effects depending on the combinations. And when you feel really relaxed, that's because whenever we do acupuncture, it's putting the body into the parasympathetic which is our rest, digest and calm state. Yes, bring it on. <laughs> yes, we all need more of that. And so as soon as we do that, it helps to amplify that response in the body. So it's really blunting that stress response. It's reducing cortisol and it's directing a lot of energy and blood flow to the digestive system and the reproductive system. You know, acupuncture is now used quite widely in hospitals and other places to help manage um, some of those conditions or, or treat pain. Totally. I mean, I think we're a little bit more behind in Australia. Like in China, they incorporate it into the hospitals. Like there's the Chinese medicine ward and then there's the Western medicine ward. And a lot of the doctors there are trained in both like Chinese and Western medicine. So it's very normal if you go to the hospital to get your prescription and then also to get your herbal formula. So it's very much it's like so much more of an integrative approach there. And even in America as well, yeah. they are a lot more on board, I think, in certain areas. Um, but we're coming along in Australia. We're getting better at it, I think. We are. And like other things, I feel like I've been a bit slow, but I finally found, um, you know, a GP that, that, that I can go and see that has that approach and it really works for me. Something else that I've been slow on, if I think back over the years, is just for so long I endured the monthly cycle, right? The menstrual cycle, pain, symptoms, sort of pushing through it, refusing to acknowledge that I could make some small changes and some bigger ones that would really make a difference. And but I also reduced, you know, wine and coffee significantly, not always consistently, but the impact it was, you know, it's no surprise to you, right? The impact was huge. So for the women listening who are still, you know, going through that monthly cycle, what are some practical things for them to consider to shift from sort of enduring and tolerating something like I was and pushing through it? Oh, totally. I think that's a really common story, like what you experienced. I think the majority of women are going through that. Um, I think the biggest thing is the education. Like so many women, I think, have that perspective of just tolerating symptoms because they may not know that there's another way or they may not know that that's actually not normal and it's a sign of something deeper going on. Well, I, I didn't believe when someone said to me, it's possible to not have pain. I literally didn't. I thought that doesn't apply to me. 
And then when I got, I stopped drinking wine, the next month my period just showed up and I had no pain. I was like, wow. how can this be true? Mm-hmm. I mean, I get that all the time from women that are coming in for pain. And when I, you know, begin to tell them that it's a symptom, it's a sign of something going on and that you were designed not to have pain, the majority of them are like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, sure. And they often think, you know, that my pain is really severe. Like, I'm like a different in a different category type of thing yeah a lot of women put up with it because they don't think it can be better and they don't think that you could improve on it so i think for a lot of women the first thing is just knowing what's actually a normal cycle yeah and then how to tell if you've deviated from that and if you do need extra support so just briefly for everyone if they're not sure what a menstrual a normal menstrual cycle is it should be regular like as close to 28 days as possible but a few days either side is normal four to five days of bleeding with a good substantial flow, but obviously not flooding or leaking and no clotting, no spotting, and then no symptoms in terms of pain, no breast tenderness, headaches, mood changes, bloating, bowel changes, all of that kind of stuff should not be happening. So if you're getting any symptoms, it's a sign that something's out of whack, either stress levels, hormones, digestive health, that can all attribute to symptomatic periods. Um, so I think women just knowing that can be really helpful because if their cycle is deviating from that, then they can think, okay, maybe I actually need some further support. Help us get a little bit honest with ourselves because we don't like to get honest. Like we like to go to you know the doctor and say, tell us what to do or give mm. us the pill or whatever, put us on the supplement. We, we don't like to get honest with maybe a couple of the things in the whole toolkit. I, I just want women listening to, you know, it, like you say, experiment. And it's a data-driven approach, isn't it? Yeah. Because their experience is, is their experience. Awesome. And I would add in as well, to get started on this journey is to start like recording everything, like start recording all of your data, like how long your cycle is, what symptoms you get, like write everything down. And there's a lot of apps I think you can use for oh, that these days. Yeah. So many apps. Um, yeah, it can be really easy. So then when you make changes, then you can compare month to month and actually see yeah. in front of you what changes happened. And that could be really simple, that, that, that data. Yeah. It doesn't have to be. Yeah, I've, I've done that as well. But obviously fertility is um, a big challenge for many couples. And I think back to um, my personal situation. So we ended up having some challenges getting pregnant with our second child and we ended up going down the IVF path and I'd already been having some acupuncture and I do recall literally after having that um, you know embryo um, or that egg implanted I went and saw my I couldn't go straight to acupuncture that day because of the time of the day I went straight and saw my practitioner the next morning and had some acupuncture and you know, look, I'm not saying that's why that first implant worked, but it certainly was something that I was using heavily and it was successful for us. So talk a little bit about, you know, why women and couples do have success with acupuncture and, and Chinese medicine to assist in some fertility challenges and outcomes. Mm, it's such a good question because the way we approach it from a Chinese medicine perspective is looking at it holistically when it comes to fertility. And I, for a lot of women and couples that I see, it's the first time that someone's actually sat down with them and gone through everything because typically like depending on your GP, they can't go through absolutely everything in the time that they've got. And the same with the specialists, they don't often have time to go into your diet and lifestyle, like all of the characteristics of the menstrual cycle to begin with. So we would go through your entire menstrual history, when you got your very first period, your history of contraception, which is really important, yeah. and what your periods were like prior to con contraception. 
So we kind of get that menstrual history timeline, like really thoroughly detailed. And then we would go into diet, like average day of eating, what's your digestion like, bowels, sleep, stress levels, exercise, relationships, just kind of everything that yeah. can be impacting your body. And then also, of course, the partner, like if it's a male partner, we need to go into their diet and lifestyle as well. And we need to go into... Ooh. Um, yeah. <laughs> now that's uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's their history been like? Are they taking supplements? Are they drinking, smoking, too much caffeine? Like what I see a lot is women I feel a lot of the pressure and weight on their shoulders. And I always love to tell women it is like, obviously there's more emphasis on you because you're the one that's going to be carrying the baby. But in, in terms of conception, that's 50, 50, like it's two cells coming together, 50% genetic material each. So the male portion is equally as important if a pregnancy is going to be viable or not. So we have to look at the guys as well, for sure. And it's not all on the woman's shoulders. Um, so I think that that's where a real strength is from a Chinese medicine perspective is that we get a really good bird's eye view over everything. And if there's something really obvious that's standing out that the IVF clinic didn't pick up or the GP didn't pick up, just like caffeine intake or alcohol intake, all of that kind of stuff, then that's like a big glaring flag waving to me being like, oh, let's focus on that. And even just optimizing the menstrual cycle is a huge part of it going into con to conceiving. Because a lot of women that I see, they have no idea when they're ovulating. And that's a huge thing when you're trying to conceive because our fertile window is actually really small every cycle. You know, it's only like really a maximum of six days. And if you're trying at the wrong times, then it's just not going to happen. So if we can actually optimize the times when you're fertile and understand when that is, a lot of women get really far just knowing that. Then optimizing the cycle because some women can be trying for you know, a few months, maybe six to 12 months, but the actual qualities of their period is indicating a lot of internal imbalances or maybe their period's actually really light. And that would mean to me that their lining is really thin and that can be tricky when we're trying to implant an embryo if the lining is too thin. And that may not be something that anyone else had gone through them before being like, how much do you actually bleed when you have your period? Because that tells us heaps. So all of those details, all of those weird details you would never think of, I think um, really add up and give us that overall picture and then we can be more targeted in our treatments. So it's really specific to that person rather than a generalised approach. I love that, um, well, that equity, right? If, if it is a traditional couple or a couple that, you know, both need to come to the party here. It's very, that's very powerful and symbolic. So because of all those reasons and that it's almost like you're a, you're a detective and you find little, you know, mm -hmm. pots of gold there to work with. Have you seen couples get some outcomes that have really surprised them? Oh yes. <laughs> the most, most of the time, to be honest, because a lot of the time they may have gone into it without that preconception care piece. So they may have just like jumped straight into it without doing some groundwork. And when we actually start to do that and put that preconception care in place, then that's when we really see a massive difference. Um, and a lot of the time with things like recurrent pregnancy loss, we can see a really big dramatic change in because there's always a reason for that happening. And if we can help to improve the fertility, improve egg quality, sperm quality, 
and even just the health of the menstrual cycle in general, that can make such a big difference for a lot of couples in terms of when they conceive and if a pregnancy is viable and healthy. Um, so that's always really rewarding to help women with that if they've been through recurrent pregnancy loss and it's very, um, very difficult emotionally and physically to go through that repetitively. Um, so that's always very, like, always a huge win in the clinic when that happens. Let's hop to another topic that's kind of near and dear to my heart and, and many other women, and not just women, like I said, couples and families, um, as women approach this next stage. So in my early 40s, things started changing for me. And what I, did, what I know now, I didn't know then, was I was actually going through perimenopause, you know, despite doing a number of tests with doctors who told me it was due to low iron because I'd always had really chronic low iron, autoimmune-related you know, and I um, recall now, and I think back with horror, some of the, the challenges that through that time, as I was working on a senior leadership team with six men as the only female, you know, I recall being on a holiday up in North Queensland and thinking, gee, I know it's hot up here, but I'm experiencing kind of sweat and heat in a way that I can't put my finger on having experienced before. But I kind of just put it down to the, the warm climate. And then a month later, I finally went to the doctor and said, I don't know, I've been sick, is something going on? But I've got to say, I did not even know that perimenopause was a thing. I think back to how I prepared for, you know, childbirth and through my pregnancies, and yet I was caught right on the back foot. How is it that it's such an important stage for women and, and families because of the impacts of it, and yet even someone like myself was just so on the back foot? Mm, I think that's so common. For me, what I see in clinic and just kind of in the world, I think it makes sense in terms of how we just view women's health in our society. Like it's very much ignored. It's very taboo. You know, women hide their pads on tampons when they go to the toilet. Like it's all very hush-hush. Yeah. And, and like so many women don't understand about their cycles. Like when they get their first period, they may have just been chucked a, a box of pads and said that's it and get on with it. You know, like the whole attitude towards our reproductive systems and our menstrual health is very unsupportive, I think, in like a modern world. You know, some cultures are amazing at supporting it for young girls. And some people are really coming on and helping young girls when they get their first period to really celebrate it and teach them about it, which is awesome. But I think the end stage of that with perimenopause, when the cycle is then ending, I think so many women don't have the full information about it because they never had the full information about their periods to begin with. So I think it's just this big roll on effect that it's just this endless cycle of misinformation or lack of education. And it's just another example of that, I think, of how we're not approaching women's health in a really supportive and well-rounded way in our modern world. So it almost doesn't surprise me in that sense because it's just, another, it's just another expression of that. Um, and I think perimen perimenopause and menopause as well is, has this other added layer because it's so emotionally charged for women because we don't revere it and see it as this amazing rite of passage, passage and transition. And a lot of women are panicked because they're like, okay, I can't have children anymore. Like that self-worth piece comes into it because they're entering this new space of life. And if it's not really supported in modern world, then it's tricky to know how to navigate that. 
you know, if we don't have good examples of women that have just like grabbed onto this stage of their life and loved it and completely transformed how they do things. And like traditionally we've got our maiden mother crone, like three archetypal passages. And when we enter the crone stage, you know, that's when like the women become the leaders because they've had all this life experience and they've probably had children and now they're going and educating their communities and they're spreading awareness and then they're helping other mothers and they're helping other children. And so it's this real, I think, I see it as this really like powerful woman coming into herself space of life because she's had all these years to grow and learn and gather information and wisdom. And then this is really where it fully becomes into effect, I think. I think um, that's the opportunity, isn't it? But I, I don't know that that's, and I think that's maybe going to start to happen more because, again, if I reflect on, you know, I always wanted to share positive childbirth stories because there's so many bad stories out there. And, of course, you know, my stories still were challenging, but there was a lot of really good stuff. And I've always made sure to sort of share those stories. And yet when I arrive at this stage of life, you know, there's not, I'm not hearing the stories. Like, it's not really being talked about. It's only being talked about now a little bit with my sort of contemporaries because it's more that kind of, oh, it's a crisis. Like I'm, I'm suddenly suffering symptoms that are impacting my day-to-day lifestyle and I don't like it. So I'm going to try and do, I'm either going to do one or two things. I'm going to try and push it down and mask it and hack my way through it or I'm going to try and do something. I mean, I had one friend sort of say she took a really proactive stance a few years ago with, with Chinese medicine and acupuncture to prepare her. But that is, that mm. is so rare. And so I, I think this is a massive, massive opportunity for us. Totally. And I think what you say is just so, it's just like so classic because I think it's such a reflection of how we view each stage. Like we hear a lot of bad period stories. Like we don't hear of a lot of women loving their periods and like really embracing it as a time in their life. And same with birth as well. Like there are a lot of positive birth stories, but often when women are pregnant, they get bombarded with the negative stories. And I think that the perimenopause and menopause time is very similar. Like the women are told of all the negative stories. And I've been lucky to have some women in my life and that I've been in contact with that have had amazing transitions in this time and they love it. And they can't wait to share like their insights and things, which is great to have that as an example. But I think it's just that paradigm switch. And another thing like from a Chinese medicine perspective is the way women experience menopause is like how experienced their menstrual cycles. So if women had really problematic menstrual cycles, a lot of symptoms, a lot of pain, it's more likely that they're going to have a more difficult transition out of that cycle and into perimenopause. Whereas we see a lot of women that had like really breezy periods, really amazing menstrual cycles typically have a much smoother transition and we can see that from a Chinese medicine perspective, but then also we're seeing that more now clinically in terms of hormonal levels, because we see that a lot with estrogen, because if a woman has had really high levels of estrogen her whole life, and then suddenly the levels are completely plummeting, it's like that withdrawal effect, like you're going to get symptoms with that. So if we can be proactive like your friend (laughs) and like work on your cycle when you are having menstrual cycles and try to optimize that, that puts women in a much better position for when they reach this stage because it's likely to be much more of a smoother transition. 
but a lot yeah, of and I think if you know you're you know if you know that that's what that's your whole point if you're in tune mm -hmm. and you know where you are and what's really going on in your body not kind of masking it with stuff then you can be a bit more prepared and so I think that's I was starting to accept the impact um, of stress in my lifestyle on my health and I think now tipping into you know into perimenopause has really helped me fully accept that and make some changes that I feel really good about and I'm not sure that I would have really slowed down and made some of those changes if I hadn't kind of had that you know crisis put right in my face for women being a bit more you know on the front foot for this is just a game changer for them and tune in men because this is you know, this is where it really is a partnership as well. Um, and I'm, you know, I feel really good about some of the things I've done now. I mean, one of the other benefits for me was that iron levels actually returned to, to normal after, you know, 10 plus years of, of chronic low iron. Um, so I hear my friends talk about the iron challenge. I hear the other thing is people are very confused about what to do around sort of birth control and, and contraception to sort of on the one hand help, you know, manage the iron and the period impact, but then on the other hand, thinking about menopause and can I just kind of, you know, stay on everything and, and try and glide through this. So maybe talk to those or, or yeah, take us in some directions there. So I'm really happy you mentioned that iron piece because that's really common. I see that a lot in clinic and for me, as like trying to do the detective work, if someone's taking the pill to skip their period so that they're not losing excessive amounts of iron, I would want to see why are they losing so much iron? Because in a normal period, we really shouldn't be depleted that much. We'll be obviously losing blood, but if it's getting to the stage where we're bleeding so heavily and like flooding, leaking, really large clots, then that is excessive. So if a woman was to take the pill to skip those bleeds, it's not actually getting to the root of why she's bleeding so heavily in the first place. And then that cause could just be going on behind the scenes for like 10 or 20 years. So if I get women coming in that are like on the pill or skipping periods for purely symptom management, my approach is always to try and figure out why they're getting these symptoms in the first place because they're just little warning signs from the body that something's going on. Comfort food is really good to do to replenish all of your stores after a period. And if we do that consistently, rather than like having like a raw salad after a period, which isn't going to do a whole lot, um, if we can have more of that approach to replenish after each period, that can be really helpful for a lot of women. But if a woman is like really experiencing very heavy periods, then that's definitely needs to be addressed. And unfortunately, something like the pill doesn't actually get to that root cause. I guess all I can say, and I'm so surprised to, to find myself saying it, but if you do peel back the layers and you're willing to kind of have a look at what's really going on, I, don't, I think it's a catalyst to more than just the physical part of it. I think it, it, it helps move along that emotional part of that next stage you're at. And, it's, and it can be very empowering and strengthening versus, you know, having something happen to you or be in denial and about and avoidance about where you are actually in, in your life stage. Totally. And I always like to think of it as like, if you've got the, um, like the fire, what's it called? Like the smoke detector 
and it's beeping at you and you just take the batteries out. Like it's not actually helping support your body and like getting to that next stage. Like you said, it's just kind of ignoring signs that there is a problem. Yeah. And tackling issues like this isn't always comfortable. Like there's often a lot of muck we have to get through and it's not always smooth sailing, but in the grand scheme of things, you put yourself in so much more of a better position for long-term health as well. And that's like physical and emotional. So I think it pays off. We're getting to the end here, but there's just a couple more questions if you don't mind. Um, I mentioned the hot flushes and the sweats, maybe night sweats as well before. You know, I specifically recall sitting there having a meeting with a male colleague and, you know, we're having a serious business discussion and then all of a sudden, you know, full body heat. I'm just sort of trying to mop my, my face. And it's just like the more I thought about it and worried about it, the more flushes I got. It was just, you know, a nightmare. Clear link to stress for me. And I remember when I went and saw the specialist, she said, oh, I don't think so. I was like, no, no, I've been there a couple of times over the years and now I see it. So that's more powerful for me than what any medical, you know, practitioner is going to say and the herbs that you've given me at times also you know have a, have a, a significant impact on reduction of any night sweats just a couple of practical things that women could do on the on the sweats lauren mm. um there's so many things <laughs> so from a chinese medicine perspective we see it as like we've got our yin and our yang and the yin is like the cooling substance and it's related to our estrogen and the yang is very hot and dynamic and as we get into the perimenopausal stage and the estrogen is lowering and the yin is lowering, which is our cooling aspect of our body, then we've got so much yang in our system we don't know what to do with. And especially at nighttime, that's when it really comes into play because nighttime is yin time. And if there's not enough yin there, then we've got all of this yang in our body and it's just yang is heat. So it rises and it makes us sweat and hot and bothered. Um, so like you said, a really big part of it is stress management just to help smooth all of that out. And I find for a lot of women, just like a slow yoga practice, like if you're not at the stage to do a seated meditation, doing an actual movement meditation can be really helpful just to quiet down the mind and get into that parasympathetic state. Because when you're in that, that's when everything is getting regulated and everything just smooths out so much more. Those easily. things are just so available and they're the things that I used to read about and go, oh, yeah, you know, I don't know about that. And I'm like, I could just, yeah, I could just tell you that, you know, for me, it's an absolute fact that, yeah. you know, that those things work. Oh, totally. Yeah. And even like something like legs up the wall pose, like literally just laying down with your legs up, yeah. stimulates the vagus nerve and that calms down your nervous system. Like it yeah. just does that. And it's so easy. And you just have to lay there. Yeah. <laughs> so it. that's like something everyone can do for their reproductive health in general, but especially with that stress management side of things, doing something every day is so important to get that momentum. Because if it's like once a week, it's usually not enough to balance out yeah. maybe. Yeah, these are the micro actions, aren't they? You know, if yeah. you did that 10 minutes every night before you went to bed or something, you know. Exactly. Because if we looked at it in a graph, it would be like, six days of like high stress and then one day of lower stress. But, and over time, yeah. it's not really adding up. Like That's another whole episode, isn't it? Cause we can yeah. manage the stress <laughs> or we can actually get to the root cause and think about, you know, which is kind of my whole point of do things differently. Yeah. Um, Lauren, final question here. Um, we're heading into kind of the winter season here in, in Australia. Is there anything people should be thinking about or anything, just little practical things they could be doing to kind of boost their immune systems? 
Yeah, totally. So from a Chinese medicine perspective, we really love to eat seasonally. So if you can be doing that, that is very supportive right now. Um, so lots of citrus and things because you're going to be naturally getting a lot of vitamin C there. Yeah. But something that is really good is to balance out your food with what's going on externally in the environment. So if you're living in an area where it is quite cold, it is quite damp and rainy, you can counteract that with your food being really nice and warm, nice and cooked, lots of really hearty meals to counteract that cold and a lot of really warm cooked foods actually helps to strengthen up the digestive system, which in turn strengthens our immunity because that's where a lot of our immune system is located. Um, so it's really good to balance out where you're actually, where you're positioned in the world. Because if you're in a really cold area, eating like you're in Hawaii and having lots of like acai bowls and salads doesn't make sense geographically for your body. I so love you know, that. I haven't actually thought of it that way. I'm just, yeah. you know, I'm hungry now, but I'm also thinking, I'm so glad we had our slow, slow cooker going all day yesterday and we had yeah. one of those meals last night. It was so good. So good. And it just makes sense. And then like when it comes to summer, then you opt for those lighter meals. You opt for more like salads and smoothies and your body can actually handle it better then. Yeah. But coming into the cold, we really want those warming foods and having like ginger and cinnamon and, cardamom and nutmeg all of those kind of spices in your cooking just to help warm you from the inside out is really supportive yum yum that is awesome well lauren we're going to wrap up um we're all about growth here in all its different forms and my final personal question for you is what is your current growth hell year what are you saying yes to in your own personal growth Oh, I am actually, I mean, this isn't so much, I guess it is personal growth. I'm actually working on my back because I have had a history of back issues and it's been exacerbated by me ignoring it. <laughs> so I'm a human as well. I love it. Too. So I'm taking my own advice and I've been during this isolation time working more and actually strengthening my back, strengthening my core and actually prioritizing my health as well in that aspect, like I'm really good with menstrual cycle stuff, but then with my back, I've just been like ignoring that, that that's an issue. <laughs> so that's something that I'm actually working on and it feels really good to be prioritizing that and actually making the space to take care of myself in that way. Yeah, great. So you're, you're doing the work as well. I love yeah. it. Um, <laughs> Lauren, I'm going to put the link in the notes for your Instagram. I say you put lots of um, great little tips and thoughts there. Uh, I'll put your website in um, and obviously you're seeing patients um, both virtually and in practice. Is there anything else you want to mention about your work as we wrap up here? Um, that is pretty much it really. So I work with a lot of women with women's health and fertility. Everything that we spoke about is primarily what I see. So if people want to get in contact with me, they can through Instagram or my website. Awesome. So much wisdom and I love it. And I, I hope our listeners do. Thanks so much, Lauren. I really enjoyed our chat today. Hey, thank you, Melissa. Thanks so much for listening. I'm very excited as we build this growing community of growers. And I'd love to hear your feedback on anything you want to hear more about people that you think would be great for us to have a chat with please leave me some feedback or if you want any support, use the functions via the podcast or the email, the Facebook group or the Instagram, all of it in the notes. I'd love to hear your stories. I'd love to see your pictures of you growing and what you're working on. 
please share the podcast and review it in iTunes as we build this community. Thanks so much.